Is this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Hey, it's the Outsiders. Hang it, wait for it. Brent Griffiths and Robin Brownlee with you. This is episode 35. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm terrific. So we're now, what, uh, 35 episodes in before we got our uh, intro change to uh, remove the football Edmonton team. football team. Yeah. yeah. Uh, They're still in there, yeah, but we just don't hear the, the name. Yes, yes, the name. We, sh- we, we cannot hear the name. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Is that okay? I didn't. I, I, you know what? I was, I was waiting to not like it. I actually I think that's pretty good. It works for me. Okay, great. Well, we'll, uh, we'll hang on to it for a little while. And, you know, I, I'd like to change it up more than once every year, uh, but I thought it was okay. Anyway, it's great to be back to start another week. Our guest coming up on The Outsiders today is Jamie Campbell from Sportsnet. Obviously, the host of Blue Jays Baseball on Sportsnet. Lots to talk about there. We're talking about oh, a new yeah. barn. Are you surprised by that? <laughs> um, a little bit. Uh, I'm always surprised when uh, edifices, I'll use that term, that cost that much to build uh, are deemed obsolete so quickly. We saw it down in... Uh, Seattle with the kingdom, mind you, that was a butt ugly building the minute it opened. Yeah. All concrete. But, you know, that's a lot of dough to spend on these things. And really, they're out of commission. How much? What was the what was uh, the yard in Toronto? 89? Yep, that's the date. So you're getting uh, 31 years out of it and it's gone? Huh? I guess things change, but man, that's an expensive change. It's going to be interesting to see how they pull that off. Well, I'm guessing the number one reason why they're, and by the way, it was a horrible place to watch a football game. I've attended a few great cups there. I just hated it. Great place to watch a baseball game back in the day. But I'm guessing the number one reason why they want to replace it. By the way, is it a barn or is it a cornfield when you're talking about a baseball stadium? I'll go with the yard. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, I'm guessing it's because they're trying to find new ways to generate revenue, and we're in a situation now where we don't know how many fans are coming back, and if they're not, are they going to have to make up any lost revenue via the hands of corporate sponsorship? So I'm guessing there might be a little bit of that in there. Hey, the way things are going with this freaking COVID, having fans in the building is going to be a new way of producing revenue if it takes long enough. Yeah, there, there's that. So we'll talk to Jamie about that and lots of other things. I'm kind of curious to get his thoughts on how he thought the bubble thing went. You and I, the yeah. early going when we started, a few of these positive tests were popping up. We went, this isn't going to work. Well, it did. We got all the way through to a World Series. So congratulations to them. We'll talk to Jamie about that and some other sports stuff as well. So it was Tyson and Jones, the big fight on the weekend. Did you watch? Did you did you throw some cash down to watch the boys throw <laughs> throw it down? Did you, you you called it a big fight? Did you? 
Well, here's how I view it. And then you can give me your assessment because you, you were the guy who did so many writings of so many boxing matches in this town that you'll have a much better mm-hmm. take on it. So I'll give you like the my layman's example. For me to want to watch a fighter to pay the money, I have to think it's going to be one of two things. It's going to be an absolute spectacle or it's going to be an yep. absolute debacle. If I think it's just going to be a fight and I don't really know what's going to happen, and I was thinking it was going to be a draw anyway, that's not enough for me to throw the money down. I didn't watch it. But I I know you did because, you know, the uh, sweet science for you is something special. Well, I tell you, Bryn, and honestly, uh, I'll preface this by saying, you know, everybody's stuck inside with this COVID thing. Yeah. Um, entertainment of the sports variety is, 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 you know, really it's few and far between right now, the way things are going. So look, it's your money. If you want to spend it, these things never interest me. And it, it, it goes before this. Um, one of the things I did at the journal uh, for years was cover boxing before I went to the Euler beat full time. And I, you know, I, I covered Mike Tyson and Frank Bruno at the MGM Grand. I covered a lot of boxing cards with, with Oscar De La Hoya on it. And all, all kinds of, of guys who went on to win world championships. The reason I was down there uh, was often a local angle. You know, the little flyweight here, Scotty Olson. Yep. Um, the Tyson-Bruno fight was simply because I was down uh, in Arizona uh, covering spring training, and it was a quick hop over to do that fight. But Mike Tyson was a badass. He was the dictionary definition of a badass in his prime. If you're just talking about in the ring, uh, he was as ruthless and uh, dominant as anybody of his era, more, more dominant than anybody of his era. Where he fits in all time, that's a different argument for a different day. But I've seen him when he was an absolute live killer. I don't want, and I saw Roy Jones too, who was an unbelie- unbelievable uh, combination of speed and power at light heavy. Um, but not at the same level, right? Not the same yeah, level. As uh, well, he, he could only fight at the level. Roy Jones was considered the best pound for pound boxer in the world for quite a stretch. He was a special fighter, but. Lots of things was and were. I don't want to see two guys 50-plus uh, slapping each other uh, when there's no ill will behind the punches, when there's not going to be a decision ren- rendered, when there's not going to be any knockouts. I get it that knockouts are bad for your brain, but if you're interested in boxing, you understand that comes with the game. It just wasn't going to be real, and boxing is not one of those things that you can – you know, you can have baseball's fun in a in an exhibition or a, a, an all star game, right? Let's watch the home run derby. Yeah, they're still pitching, they're still hitting, there's balls leaving the park. Boxing, do you really want to watch guys doing it for fun, like pulling their punches, not trying to get a guy in trouble, not finishing the guy when they do have him in trouble? If right. they do, it's just it's just not a a sport that translates to let's put on an exhibition. It's great that they raised some money for charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But aside from that, there's no redeeming qualities to an event like this. I, I was just waiting for them to start swinging their walkers around to try to knock <laughs> each other out, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or we've seen this at, at the CFL Grey Cup level where two aging veterans who've got a grudge from way back when are swinging canes at each other. I, that might have made it a little more a little more uh, tempting for me to tune in. Anyway, well, we can maybe talk about that a little bit later on. And we'll also be talking about the NHL and what's going on. All of a sudden, we don't know what's going on. They've gone under the cone of silence. We'll get to that. Yep. The Denver Broncos, what a quarterback mess. But that's not what bothers me about it. We'll tell you about that also coming up in a little bit. But right now, we've got to tell you that The Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. They've had an interesting year. It started slow because nobody really knew what was going on with the COVID stuff. Well, Brent and his entire team out there started to get a new game plan together. And that's been the success of a lot of companies that have done well or have recovered is because they saw the new game and they made a new game plan to, to deal with it. And that's what Brent and everybody at the Macintosh Group at Remax River City did. They they had to kind of regroup a little bit, and they are finishing the year off rather successfully. They're very pleased with how it is wrapping up, and they're very positive about the year ahead. And uh, anyway, the success in finding buyers uh, looking for their next home and the sellers looking to get the big sold sign up on the front lawn even though right now you'll have to punch, you'll need a, a nice fishing auger to get to the, uh, the grass to put that sign in. But Brent uh, is very happy with the way things are going. And if you'd like more information, just give them a call at the Macintosh Group. The phone number is 780-464-0075. It's as simple as that. Just check them out. They're looking for sellers, buyers. And at one time they were looking for a new agent because they continue to grow. So make sure you ask for Brent and tell him that you were listening to The Outsiders. He'd love to hear that as well. Jamie Campbell up next. You done blowing your nose and drinking your, your juice? I am. I'm, I'm all set to go. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Doing well, Brent. How are you? I'm doing very, very good. And, uh... Man, we've been hearing a lot of talk of a new stadium in Toronto for the Blue Jays, but there just seems to be a four-year gap. We're trying to get our head wrapped around all the stuff we're hearing out here. What's going down there? You know, it's actually an old story. It's um, it's something I've known about in bits and pieces for over a year now. And to be honest with you, I love that the Globe and Mail um, – release the information and the detail that they have because what it has done is it sparked a lot of enthusiasm among sports fans in this area in particular about the possibility of a new place to play. Um, but it's something that on the ground level and on government levels and as far as I know on uh, Rogers executive levels just hasn't been discussed in quite some time. It was certainly a topic of conversation about 12 to 18 months ago. And there were discussions with the design company and all of that kind of thing. And I even had one person with the organization over a year ago, tell me that if they did something, they would try and model it after uh, the St. Louis project of, I think 2005 or 06, where they literally built the new stadium while they were able to play at old Bush stadium. And then once the season ended, they were able to, 
uh, destroy the old Bush Stadium and finish the one they'd started just outside. And there is a little bit of real estate where the Blue Jays could conceivably do that. But, you know, the pandemic came along and then a number of things happened and they focused all their efforts on playing games in Buffalo. It's just not something that has been on the front burner for some time. And, and maybe the publication of that story will force that now. I don't know. Jamie, that's a relatively short uh, shelf life for a, a facility that costs that much to build. I think it, from 89 till, you know, uh, now, uh, that's not very long. I mean, I think the Kingdom was shorter, but it was a freaking ugly, hideous building the minute it opened. Yeah. Um, why the... And I don't particularly think this facility is 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 tremendous to watch uh, uh, everything in. It, the roof is cool, but why the need to at least explore this option now? What is not there that needs to be there in a new facility uh, to make it make sense? You, you bring up an interesting point, Robin. If you think about when, for example... Of course, neither one of us was alive at that time. When they when they constructed Yankee Stadium across the river from the polo grounds in whatever it was, 1921 or 1922, or or, or built even Dodger Stadium more recently. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe Dodger Stadium is the third oldest stadium in Major League Baseball right now. You know, stadiums then were constructed to last. There was never a thought of, um, of demolishing and rebuilding. That wasn't what they were built for. They were built as a long-standing ballpark to house uh, the baseball team of that time. But things changed in the last 30 or 40 years, especially after we saw all those cookie-cutter stadiums like Riverfront in Cincinnati and Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, um, multifaceted stadiums that could house a baseball team, a football team, an NASL soccer team if you wanted to, multiple concerts whenever they decided to. And then suddenly... A couple of years after the Sky Dome was conceived and constructed, the whole industry changed. And now you've got these retrofit ballparks like Camden Yards, where they really only do have a shelf life of about 30 to 40 years, because at some point, even Camden Yards is going to have to come down because they just don't have the, uh, the capability of revenue production. Um, that you need to have. Um, and in the case of the Rogers Center, I've been there when they literally postponed a game on a rainy day because there was a leak in the roof. And it's breaking down. Everything breaks down. I'm sure you guys bought a car 10 years ago, and now it's not as attractive as it was when it came off the lot 10 years ago. So, so I firmly believe that the Rogers Center is just near the end of its expiry. And, I mean, they can't just keep sinking money into fixing a roof and fixing everything else when they could spend a whole lot more money um, and go ahead and, and, and make something modern, make something retractable, make something that's going to generate a little more revenue. Um, you know, people may not like the place. I didn't like it when it was first built, but I really like it now. Uh, there's there's a history there now. Some great, great baseball moments. Joe Carter's home run. Jose Bautista with the bat. One of the greatest great cups, if not the greatest great cup, was played there. Yep. Um, but but I think it's time. I honestly think it's time has come, and I think that's the way things are going to go. Think about Atlanta. In the time that the Rogers Center slash Skydome has existed, 
Atlantis had three different places because they played that World Series in 92 at Fulton County Stadium. Right. They built Turner Field for the Olympics, and now they got a brand-new ballpark. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it seems to be the way things are going in professional sports. You, you brought up something that, that I've been thinking a little bit about lately, and that is the NHL released their retro jerseys, and the Oiler one goes back to 1973. So now I'm thinking, okay, so I started watching that team at the old Edmonton Gardens. Then we went to the Coliseum, and now we're obviously at Rogers Place. Did you not like Sky Dome then because you grew up at Exhibition Stadium? You used to go there with your dad all the time. Yep, that's exactly why. And, and Exhibition Stadium, and I don't know if either one of you got there, yep. it was a terrible stadium. It was awful. Just as bad for football. But it was, but it was my playground. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, terrible for football. Yeah, Not so bad for baseball, but still not great for baseball. It was it was aesthetically unpleasing to look at. It was by the lake, and it was freaking cold there in April and September. I loved the place. Like, it was my childhood playground. So why on earth would I want to have to take um, an even further go train ride from Oakville to get into Union Station and uh, and walk to a brand new domed place, which apparently had a retractable roof. Um, I don't know with twenty five or thirty thousand more customers when I can enjoy the the sort of the relative um, um, sanctuary of Exhibition Stadium when they were terrible. Nobody went, but I was there, and I and I missed the place, and that's why I didn't like the Sky Dome when it was built. Now I love the place. It's grown on me. Uh, it's I have an office there, for goodness sake. I spend yeah. most of my life at the center, so I better like it. Um, and I'll like the new place, too, if they build one, as long as it's uh, you know reasonably comfortable. I'm not sure I want to wear overcoats in April to do a show outside for opening day, but if that's the way it's going to be, then I'll do it. You know, it's funny, Jamie. You mentioned the old stadium in Toronto. I grew up watching the... Uh, you know, the Edmonton Eskimos come to Vancouver and kick the shit out of the Lions at Empire Stadium. Yes. Uh, and In the rain. Know, then the move, and then the move was to BC Place that was went up around the time of Expo out there. And it seems to me one of the problems, I always thought BC Place was like playing in a hospital. It was too antiseptic with that big white Teflon roof. And, and um it can be dated, you know, like that person that you walk into their house and you go, oh, 1999 all over again. It's just, it just looks, you got to find, you got to build stadiums and parks that can generate the revenue. You mentioned, you mentioned the revenue and I want to get into that more later, but that also can stand the test of time architecturally. Now that's harder said than done because tastes change but like I say I thought the kingdom was hideous the moment it opened and I know a lot of other people did too that was the closest city for me to go and see major league baseball then they got into you mentioned cookie cutters they got away from that and we started to see Camden Yards and Jacobs Field and all these other old-timey like uh, facilities Um, what do you build now that stands the test of time when you're talking about revenue and just functionality. Yeah. Somewhere there's a group of scholarly architects who have a better answer to that than I do, because I don't know what the next wave of stadium is supposed to look like. The only thing I can tell you about this city in particular, based on the weather, 
is that it's going to have to be climate controlled. However it's designed, it needs to be climate controlled. The one thing that I've always envisioned, guys, because um, as much as the broadcast booth is is lousy, the perspective of PNC Park in Edmonton or in um, Pittsburgh is unparalleled in Major League Baseball. To be able to look out across the Clemente Bridge and see downtown Pittsburgh, if you've ever been there, it's absolutely spectacular. And I've always thought, you know what's getting in the way of, of that scenery in, in Toronto? Is a hotel. If, <laughs> if in some way they could construct a facility where you don't even just see the CN Tower lurching over uh, the rooftop, but you can see all of downtown Toronto in all its condominium splendor. So I don't know what it's going to look like. And I don't know what the, the, the corporate suite of 2027 has to look like in order for clubs to generate even more revenue than they do. I don't know. But what I do know is that they better not, um, you know, miss out on the mystique of the game while they're doing that. And let's be honest about this. I've sat in a near-empty Yankee Stadium and a near-empty Wrigley Field and a near-empty Dodger Stadium. And, and the feeling of sitting in places like that is just like sitting at the Rogers Center watching a lousy baseball team with 10,000 other people. Everything changes when it's sold out. Suddenly, when there are 48,000 people jamming the Rogers Center because they're about to clinch the division and start a a first-round series with the Texas Rangers, you don't notice its imperfection. You don't because you're too busy focused on a really good ball club in a really, really loud stadium. And I can tell you, you put the decibel levels up for that Jose Bautista home run in 2015 against any other stadium in Major League Baseball. That place moved when he hit that thing. I was standing there, I know. So if you've got a competitive team and you put butts in the seats, it almost doesn't matter where you're playing. I uh, I can't get this out of my, my brain, but it's amazing it took so long for them to figure it out at the hotel room that you had to close those curtains. Because the side <laughs> the side show for the first couple of years in that in the in in Skydome was uh, was quite yes. amazing, was it not? Yeah, uh, you know they weren't just hitting home runs on the field. Apparently, no, they were not. Leave You're jo- absolutely correct. You know they're rounding hey, the bases. Leave, leave Jonesy out of this, will you? Oh man. <laughs> so so uh, is revenue really the biggest issue though? I think Robin was going to get to this. Is it all about revenue these days? fans secondary now i don't think so i don't think so um do do the the individual teams want to make as much revenue as they can of course it's free enterprise right it's a business um are they making tons of money in other ways through um uh television rights and and multi-platform media and and sales of merchandise and and you know and all those things that you never had to even think about 50 years ago. All you needed to worry about is how quickly can we print those tickets and how good is this team and how many are we selling? Yep. And now they're, they're generating revenue in ways that you and I don't even know about. So I'm not totally convinced that sales of suites is that vital to the operation of a Major League Baseball team. I can't comment with respect to NHL teams, CFL teams, or the like, but uh, – I don't know if it's as important in baseball as it was, say, 25 years ago. How important is, when you're, when you're talking about this much money for a new facility, um, the, one, the one thing that's important but changes just seems like weekly, monthly, uh, 
tech. Tech is important in everything now. Being able to communicate, it's got to be more than big screens in, in the fan area while they're going to get a hot dog. Um, by the very nature of how quickly some things move, uh, you're going to be dated to some extent anyway by the time you take three or four years to build something. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, uh, the expiry date on places like this is going to come a lot sooner than, you know, the, the, the steel and girders of, uh, I don't know, of, of old Yankee Stadium. Um, I, I marveled at, I, I, I do a show every home game on the 100 level and marveled when they put in um, charging bays for Ben Blackberry's now iPhones. Yeah. So if you show if you show up at the game and suddenly your battery is running a little low, you can come over near the uh, Blue Jay Central set and plug your phone in and there's a security person there to watch it for you. <laughs> and I just, I find that fascinating. So what's that going to look like in four years or five years? Um, you know, are, are people, are, are people going to be seated with flip up iPads, you know, almost like trade tables on yeah. an airplane. Yeah, like yeah. Is, that, is, that, is that where we're going? I mean, do you even need to watch the game itself? I mean, there's going to be, look, there's going to be, there's going to be screens uh, along the baselines anyway. So you don't have to get worry about getting drilled by a, a, you know, a line shot into the seats. It's true. Hey, <laughs> we're talking, you brought up old Yankee stadium and, I was lucky enough to be in there for the 13th last game. The Blue Jays were there, and we met up with you uh, after the game and had pizza. But you, I still I still love this story. You'd grabbed a baseball. Do you remember this at the pizza place? You'd grab the ball, and when you came in and we were enjoying our pizza, there was clearly a family from Toronto there, and, of course, they noticed you immediately. And one of the kids... Oh, I had it in my bag. Yeah, so what you did is you gave yeah. the one kid this baseball that was all scuffed up from Yankee stadium. And I still remember the look on his face and I don't know. Really? I, I know oh, you did. Yeah. I know you did more than that. Just that one time. Like it's, I love doing that. You know? I, I, st I still do that. I still do that at the Rogers center. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll scoop up a ball from batting practice and it's easy to tell the, the balls that were once used in a game and then thrown out for use in batting practice. Cause they've got the, uh, uh, the, the Louisiana dirt, a uh, mud that's that's sort of caked on. Um, yeah, it's 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 sort of pushed into the to the uh, the grain of the baseball, and I, I still do that. Where if if I just notice that one kid who's come to the ballpark and might seem a little down for whatever reason, or is not not big enough to catch a foul ball like all the other kids are, I'll sort of signal them out. It's uh, it's an easy gesture, and I don't think the club minds it one bit. Jamie, there's something, uh, baseball just feels like, to me at least, such an old game. There's so much nostalgia and history there. Um, the best job I ever had, beyond covering the Oilers for years and years and years, because the travel was great and the hotels were, were great and the charters and all that, was covering AAA baseball down in the River Valley uh, with the Trappers go down, lean against the cage for BP, uh, chat with everybody, get a feature, get ready to do your gamer at night. Um, now with COVID, with what the season just looked like, um, it feels like we're a long way from all the things that make baseball the wonderful game it is. And do you long for that? Do you wonder what the timeline is when things are going to 
get back to what we call normal. Yeah, I missed it this year. And Robin, I was, you know, there for a few years doing exactly what you were doing. I told somebody the other day that one of the great joys of working in Edmonton was was on an off day when I wasn't even doing anything professionally. I didn't live very far from um, Ducey Field in uh, in the Valley, and I'd go down um, after the Oakland A's had had become affiliated with the Trappers, just after they were with the Florida Marlins. And the pitching coach, as you probably remember, was a guy named Pete Rickard. And he yep. had that, that wonderful sort of Western New York accent, because I think he's from the Rochester, New York area. And mm-hmm. he could tell stories for days and days and days. And I would go down, because I had the season pass, with, without any story to shoot or any story to do, just like you, hang around the batting cage and yak with a couple of guys, but wait till Pete had, had watched the, the bullpen of whoever the starting pitcher was that day and, and, and then corral him for 15 minutes. Just talk about, you know, when, when he was pitching for the Orioles and, and, and there was, you know, Brooks Robinson manning yeah. third base over his right shoulder, whatever it might have been. And that's, that's the beauty of baseball. I miss, I miss that with the modern player. I miss joking around on the field with, you know, Devin Travis or Marco Estrada or, or, old time guys like Brett Cecil or JP Aaron Sevia. Um, but that's, that's the beauty of, of my role is that I get that opportunity. But also I don't think that that romantic um, side of the game is ever going to disappear. Uh, I, I don't see it ever disappearing. There is still, you know, the moment those gates open, still a whole bunch of people that flood down to the front rows to either, you know, have a conversation with, a relief pitcher who's stretching in the outfield or, or snag a foul ball during batting practice, whatever it might be, that will never change. And, and if it does, that's sad because, you know, some of the oldest aspects of this game are, are some of its most endearing quality. We've never talked about this before, but I know you and I both enjoyed watching Field of Dreams numerous times. But once you get a chance like you've done, we've been able to cover the team even closer does that movie still affect you the same way as it did when you first saw it? Because there's, it's more than just a baseball movie. It's, it's a relationship between a, a son and a father as well. There's a lot of little, it's like an onion. You can peel back little pieces of it and see something different every time you watch it. When I first got introduced to that movie, my dad and I were, we were um, at the point in our relationship where playing catch was a spring, summer, and fall ritual. And as he got older, it became maybe once weekly as opposed to once every other day. Uh, in high school, it was, you know, probably three times a week. But as he got a little older and I got more college-aged and, and eventually left and moved out to Edmonton, um, we'd, we'd do it whenever we could. And I used to watch the end of that movie, and it was guaranteed that I would ball. Because what I thought of at the time was when my dad finally passes away, and I don't have a chance to play catch anymore. How I'm, how am I going to feel about this final scene? And so I think since he passed away four years ago, I've watched it maybe 10 times. And I start welling up long before, you know, they get to the point of, of having that game of catch because I know it's coming. And, and that's the impact that that movie has on me. I also think that movie along with, um, you know, Ken Burns' wonderful, yeah, ten inning documentary. If if you if you really like baseball, after you've watched 
those 10 innings and understood just how important this game was to so many people for decades and decades and decades and how spectacular a game it is. Um, if you don't love the game by the time you get some of that stuff, then, then uh, you might be missing out on something special. You know, Jamie, it's funny. Uh, Bryn brings up Field of Dreams. I, you know, when if you've been in the business for a while, I think some of that, hopefully not all of it, but some of the fan leaves you because you talk to people all the time. You've talked to thousands of ball players now. When you're a kid, you'd be wide-eyed and not, not know what to say when you meet them. We were on a flight back before we chartered all the time with the Oilers. And when you talk Field of Dreams, we're all sitting there waiting at the terminal in, in Minneapolis, and we hear this voice that's unmistakable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's James Earl Jones waiting to catch a plane. And you've never seen so many uh, young athletes who are well-known and well-to-do in their own right run over there like kids with a scrap of paper looking for an autograph. Oh, and wow. I immediately thought of that movie. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's just something that tweaked when, when Bryn brought up uh, Field of Dreams because uh, James Earl Jones and that voice in there, that was just a special part of a special movie for me. Unmistakable. And, and, yeah. and I'll, I'll tell you this, baseball's funny. The, 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 once you've established the passion for the game, the love of its history, it never leaves you. And and when I rolled into Edmonton in 1993, and Bryn knows this, and 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 got to my first spring of Edmonton Trappers baseball at John Ducey, which was still standing at that point. Yeah, I I was genuinely afraid. It was a career opportunity I couldn't pass up. But I was genuinely afraid of how my my interest in baseball would change now that I wasn't within a go train ride of downtown Toronto um, and the and the brand new Sky Dome and and how was I going to get um, my fix of baseball and and being in Edmonton my thought was well you're gonna have to jump on a plane and go somewhere Seattle Minnesota go back home if you have to for a couple of weekends whatever it's going to be. And I'll never forget the first time I, I went to to see this new team. I think they had a media day introducing the 93 team. And I, and I showed up to do a couple of interviews, and I thought, this is exactly what I need. It's, it's exact, this is going to and, – and it's funny. That stadium and the one that came after it, Telus Field, and that ball club with a bunch of, you know, mostly guys who never made it, in the major leagues, they had cups of coffee. Jason Giambi did well, but you know the Steve Wojcikowski's of the world never did much of anything in the big leagues. Every chance I got to go there, it 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 completely replenished my love of the game, and it it made me realize that it doesn't matter where you go, as long as you've got a, a television or or an opportunity to jump on a plane every now and then and get to a big league ballpark somewhere or a minor league ballpark for that matter, as long as you can maintain that love in some way, it'll never leave you. Got to ask you, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things, and Robin and I have talked about this a fair bit over the last few weeks. We didn't, we didn't know if Major League Baseball was going to survive the bubble season and the playoffs, and they did a remarkable job of it. How did you think that it played out? I loved it. There, there, there's so much I loved about it that had very little to do with, with playing the same teams over and over and over again. 
um, which was fine. Uh, I, frankly, I'd like to see more of that, more of an American League, National League thing, but that's an old-fashioned take. Um, I like that they experimented because they figured, okay, this is a crazy season, 60 games. Let's, let's institute this um, extra innings policy, which I didn't like at the beginning, and it started to grow on me. Right. Let's expand the rosters from 25. At first, it was supposed to be sort of a, a graded thing where they'd go 26 and then into September up to 28, and they just stuck with 28 players uh, all along. And that gave us an opportunity to see players that under normal circumstances we wouldn't have seen this year in a Blue Jay uniform. And I'm thinking specifically of a kid by the name of Alejandro Kirk, who, who may as well may well have some, sort of cemented himself as a as a legitimate catching candidate for this club um, next year and beyond an opportunity he might not have gotten if they didn't have expanded rosters. I didn't mind the whole three batter rule, but I don't think it saved any time. I think the games actually got longer this year, believe it or not, than uh, on average a year ago. Yeah. Um, But I absolutely loved no pitchers hitting. And I mean, I'm old fashioned and I love, National League Baseball, for some of its its quirkiness and its strategy, but holy smokes, I never want to see a pitcher go to the plate ever again. I I, I really love that change. You're right. I'm one you of know, those guys, too. I'm like you. And the thing is, Jamie, I sometimes wonder, in a situation like this, much has changed. Uh, out in the retail world, you know, curbside pickup and online ordering is blown up because it has to. It's a necessity. With some of the things you saw this season, do you think some of those should be carried through to when do we return to what we call normal? What ideas, what what have you seen that would maybe make sense even though we have a choice not to do it that way? In, In baseball specifically, Robin? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I can't imagine pitchers are going to hit in the National League ever again. A lot of this stuff is, is still up for negotiation, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it can be implemented by the commissioner without any uh, uh, feedback from the players, I believe. But, um, you know, they're trying to slow the game down. And truthfully, I don't think there's anything that can be implemented in the way the game has played to slow it down because what's happened is Teams have sought this competitive edge of not using a starting pitcher a third time through the order, and that's what's halted the game. So those days of Roy Halladay going nine innings in two hours and 15 minutes are long gone. Yeah. Because yeah. now you get five innings of Blake Snell, and here comes your bullpen. It doesn't matter that he's only given up one hit or whoever the, the starting pitcher is that yeah. day. Like good starting pitchers in the next – 15 years, unless something changes dramatically, are never going to be expected to go beyond six innings because teams are going to load up on bullpen arms, arms that can throw 97, 98, stable of 98s, as Kevin Cash said. Um, and, and that's what slowed the game down. What kept baseball going at a decent pace for so long is that Sandy Koufax didn't come out in the fifth inning. Yeah. Nor did Steve Carlton, nor did Roger Clemens, nor did... Mark Burley or Roy Halladay, they went eight and sometimes nine innings. You were a failure if you couldn't get past the fifth inning. But now it's done by design, and it's brought the game to a screeching halt. And it's because every team is looking at every possible way analytically 
to win baseball. So you can't fault them for doing what they're doing. No. But, but that's what slowed the game now. It has nothing to do with changing a pitcher, you know, three times in one inning. Well, we certainly saw in the World Series a lot of questioning on pitchers being pulled when they were pulled, right? Oh, yes, goodness, yes. And it's not going to change. Uh, I mean, look, the, the Tampa Bay Rays got to the World Series, almost won the darn thing, with the the 28th highest payroll in baseball. Yeah. There are only two other teams that don't pay their players um, as much as the – Tampa Bay Rays, and, and they did it because they're they're analytically savvy, and they did it because they don't require their starting pitchers to go more than five innings. Time to go back and watch Moneyball all over again, you, you know, just to <laughs> see how you can maximize with the minimal amount of cash. But, uh, yeah. hey, I got I have hey, to Hey, ask. I'll tell you this much, guys. It's it's not good for the social life of a, of a baseball broadcaster when you're, sitting, when you're sitting there for three and a half hours, not to mention rain delays. Yeah. Or extra innings. I mean, not, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you, these those guys that do hockey on a full-time basis, they have no idea how lucky they are. It's going to start at 7. It'll be done by 9.30. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, when you take a look at the roster of the Blue Jays, uh, what were disappointments for you this season, and where do you look for improvements in the next season? Ooh, uh, disappointments? I don't know if I want to. I want to pick individual players. I, okay. I think they had. Well, they took some flyers on a couple of guys. Tanner Roark comes to mind. He wasn't quite as advertised. He wasn't the innings eater that uh, they had asked him to be. Um, Chase Anderson wasn't as effective as as perhaps they thought he would be. Um, but we know guys can have bad seasons too. Or off season. Everybody's right? going to have a bet. Yeah, I, I, I think they need to work on their catching situation. Uh, they, 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 both their catchers, Reese McGuire uh, and Danny Jansen, seem to be offensively black holes. Um, and if you sit with Joe Siddle every night, as I do, you, you can hear lots of criticism about the way they catch a staff. Although, although Danny in particular has has gotten really, really good at uh, defensively blocking pitches and 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 that kind of thing. There, there are necessary improvements in a lot of places for this team. I'm told they're aggressively going after George Springer from Houston. He'd be a massive upgrade in the outfield. Um, I doubt they'll get somebody like Trevor Bauer. You know, I hear that they want to try and acquire Francisco Lindor, and I don't blame them one bit, but if they're going to, I hope it's for more than just this year because that's not the way they're looking. They're looking for competitiveness, four, five, six, and seven years in a row. They're not looking to be really, really good in 2021 and then blow it all up again. So um, there are a lot of places this team needs to improve, starting pitching probably first and foremost. Um, but, you know, the bright side is there have been some players, as much as they made a ton of mistakes, whether it's Bichette or Vigio or Blatty, you know, and all his issues with weight gain and weight loss, um, they look like they're in the headed in the right direction. It looks like these kids, when they figure out what it takes to be a major leaguer and get their 1500 at bats are going to be, you know, multi-year all-stars. And, and I can say this with certainty, they have a very deep farm system right now. And I don't put too much stock in farm systems because prospects are used to get better players. If you can used to get major league proven major league caliber players. Uh, that said, they have some kids, Simeon Woods-Richardson, Jordan Groshans, Alec Manoa, Adam Klopfenstein, 
um, the, the kid they drafted in the in, with the third pick in the draft, Austin Martin from uh, from Vanderbilt. They have some incredible young players out down in their system. So uh, if they can supplement the major league team with players like that, or trade them for established major league talent, I think you're going to see the Blue Jays ultra competitive for many many years. At least that's what I hope. Jamie, I want to thank you for making me feel like a fossil with uh, Guerrero and Bichette because I remember when their fathers broke in uh, to, to the league. But I saw something on Twitter the other day with Guerrero and the Slim Down uh, program he's on. Now, is this an ongoing thing? Or as the club gently said, Vladdy, uh, don't eat your way out of a job? Or what's happening with that? Okay, so I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think Vladdy himself has decided I need to be a little more agile if I'm planning, and apparently he's planning on coming back into camp and trying to win back third base. It depends to me on what they want him to do. Do they want him to be a first baseman DH for the rest of his career? And if that's the case, and this is just my opinion, I saw a somewhat skinny David Ortiz go from the Minnesota Twins, where they asked him to be a slap hitter. He went to Boston, um, gained a little weight, and became an icon in that city because he could flat out hit. And, and I always caution people who are very quick to jump on the Vladdy has to lose weight bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, David Ortiz wasn't exactly um, skinny mini, and he he's, you know, take away, I, I, I believe, one rumored positive test of PED, and he's, he's a, you know, a, a Hall of Famer without fail. Um, quite possibly the top five greatest hitter of all time, Tony Gwynn, was not a thin man. No. And so I caution people. If I, I caution people to, if this is what you want, do you? If you want Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to be a multi-time All-Star who hits for average and power, but doesn't steal bases and may not be the most spectacular third baseman ever, then be careful about wanting him to come to camp at 205 pounds. Because if that's not what he is. And frankly, when he was first scouted and Alex Anthopoulos took video of him as a 15-year-old hitting ball after ball after ball out of some, um, you know, cruddy little field in the Dominican Republic, he was a big kid then. So be careful what you ask for. It's this weird thing in Toronto where everybody wants body to lose weight. And I say, well, wait a second. What I want is the kid to hit 300 and 35 home runs and drive in 90 every year. And if he has to be 250 pounds to do that, then let him stay 250 pounds. Yeah. Hey, before we let you go, I, 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 I have to go down this road because you and I, our history is unique uh, when you were here. And we have certain triggers that make us think of each other. For me, I was watching the Canucks game against a playoff game against the Calgary Flames at game seven. Uh, you and I did a road trip down to Calgary that, that was uh, a memorable weekend with a lot of uh, a lot of memories attached to it. I, I don't know if you want me admitting this publicly. No, you can do it. But I, pop, 
I, I popped in ABBA Gold the other day, a CD of all things, a CD. And within 30 seconds, I decided I was going to text you because ABBA Gold reminds me of you. And I don't want to get too long-winded for people, but we went down and saw that spectacular playoff game that ended with Pavel Bure scoring to eliminate the Calgary Flames. We drove up the um, the mountain highway on the way back to Edmonton. We could have got to Edmonton in three hours, but decided to get there in eight. Yeah. In the morning, we got a crackling CBC radio allegedly telling us that Ayrton Senna, the great Ayrton Senna, had been killed um, in the San Marino Grand Prix, and, and we barely heard it. And I think I turned to you and said, did you just hear what I heard? And then we kind of ran out of um, patience listening to our own voices by the time we got to Hinton. And since we didn't have a radio and I don't remember if there was a, uh, any CDs left in the rack, we stopped at some Husky and got ABBA gold and it kept us fully entertained the rest of the way. And I can't listen to any of those songs, dancing queen in particular, without thinking of you. Brent. Uh, by the way, it was a cassette. That's how old that story is. It wasn't a CD. It was yes. a cassette that we right, popped right. Yeah, I know. Oh, and one and and one quick story. Can I tell this one too? We I went don't know into what the one you're going to tell, but go for we it. We went into we went into the Canucks dressing room after the game. What radio station were you working for then? I was working for uh, Kissin and CHQT, and I was on a, it was an off weekend, so I didn't have to work. But we went down pretending we were working. I'm following him around the Vancouver Canucks dressing room. He's got a radio with a mic flash with CK. Which one? Sorry, I think it was uh, the the microphone had the uh, CFCW or one of the radio stations right. in town. It had, had a mic flash on it, and I'm watching him go from player to player, interviewing player to player, and then I suddenly realized his microphone's not plugged into anything, and I'm confused. Tucked it into my pocket, and he and I said to him, you, you, "You're not recording anything, Bryn. What's the story here?" And he says, "You just watch." Turns out he was following the TSN correspondent the whole time. Remember, Sportsnet didn't exist then. We get to some bar uh, afterward, and the highlights come up on TV. And every post-game interview that TSN did, there was Bryn's radio station right mm-hmm. beside the microphone. And I just thought, that is, that, that is the smartest, smartest non-working effort I've ever seen. And, and you freely admit all this ABBA information. Well, hey, I, I asked if I could. They're, right? they're on a third generation. They, they, you know, they're like the Bee Gees. They're never going anywhere. Their music will always be played, kind of like Mozart and Beethoven. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for your time. This is great. When we get closer to the season, we'll have to track you down again. Please do. Excellent. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, thanks, guys. Jamie. Yeah, yeah. Great, to, great to see you both. So there you go, Jamie Campbell from Sportsnet and the Toronto Blue Jay broadcasts, which really do deliver big numbers in Canada. You want to talk about, you know, I, I, I just let me go a little off tangent here because I remember the last time Jamie was in town, we usually get together and go for lunch at the Italian Center in Little Italy. He just yeah. always loves it. But one of the things, the last time he was here, and I can't remember who the player was, and uh, we took him to an Oiler game. And, of course, we told the Oilers brass that uh, – I can't remember the player's name, but so-and-so from the Blue Jays is here with Jamie Campbell. And they said, great, well, we'll, hi- we'll th- throw a little highlight pack on the big screen and we'll put them on. And the crowd got on their feet. That was after their big year. And w- and 
the guy was absolutely blown away because you can be told in Toronto that you're Canada's team, but until you go to the Saskatoons, the Dauphin Manitobas, yep. the Edmontons and Calgarys, it's you just don't understand how much the baseball team has got this national following. The only other time you do is when they played in Seattle, right? And half of Vancouver would come down. And it was like a home series for the Blue Jays. That, they, they felt it then. But I still remember the response and the reaction uh, uh, well, it, 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 from the Edmonton crowd was great. I would much rather have uh, the two teams. Uh, I'm with uh, you because the other team was my favorite team. Yeah, but that's not how it is. So uh, that's that's our team. If you believe in uh, uh, supporting the one major league franchise north of the 49th, and um, yeah, I mean, hey, I love the game. I'm an easy sell when it comes to baseball, uh, especially you know. I mean, when you when you win a, win a World Series like they have you know, two of them. Yep. Um, they've had success and, uh, that's, that's our team for lack of that. That truly is our team. We don't have to make them our team when we get into playoffs. Um, that's it. That's, we don't have another choice, sadly. Um, yep. you know, I love the old, you know, where's Larry, where's Larry Walker? What happened to Larry Walker? Um, you know, that's, that's the way it is. Interesting times in Toronto though. Uh, like Jamie talked about, uh, getting a new yard built is going to be a huge undertaking. Uh, the logistics of uh, playing, finding a place to play while it's being built. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts out oh, in Hogtown. Yeah. yeah. Gee, I'm feeling a little depressed because all I can think of now is Blue Monday. You know, uh, just uh, for Expo fans, <laughs> that was a hard day. Still a hard day. I still remember having a chance to do an interview once with Tommy Lasorda and it was just killing me to do the interview through that. Just thinking your team ran a stake through my heart. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's not digress and go back over that. Hey, there's a few other things we've got to talk about. So of course we have the situation here with uh, team Canada and a bit of a lockdown because of COVID in red deer. They're hoping to get back up and running here very quickly but it is making people like myself become very concerned about the future of this event because it's one thing to have Team Canada have a COVID issue, but I'm not completely convinced that these other teams coming to Canada are following the same kind of protocols as strictly as we allegedly think we are doing. So now I'm starting to, I'm starting to wonder whether or not this event is going to get absolutely... Uh, trash canned here because of other countries but I, I don't know do you think i'm overreacting because i do that a lot here well yes you do um but not necessarily this time uh, you know you've got people coming from uh a lot of different countries and uh you know teenagers to boot uh you got to test them right away and see what's happening uh hopefully that's been done right before they pop on planes, et cetera. You know, part of it is what comes here. You would think that has to be caught. The problem being the wrench in the works being if there's a couple of kids on each team or even a handful of kids spread throughout all the teams, even if it's not, you know, one per team, it's going to require uh, 
you know, p- people are going to have to change directions and pivot is the word these days because you can't start with, with players sick. And if they aren't sick uh, when they come, and I hope that's the case, you know, you've got a bunch of teenagers in, in town. Um, you know, when the NHL held its play-ins, Bryn, we know how well that went. And hats off to everybody here uh, who, who made that happen. But the numbers weren't what they are now when the NHL did such a good job with the play-ins. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not down there to see what plans are made uh, for keeping players safe once they arrive, but we're talking about a bunch of teenagers. And now we're talking about a city where there's restaurants and human nature. I mean, we're seeing human nature all over the place. We know what we should be doing, and people still aren't doing it. Um, Although I got to tell you, we went and did some shopping. It's our only Christmas shopping day was on Saturday, and we got it yeah. all done on Saturday. And I even pointed out to Lori, I didn't see a single person not wearing a mask. And we went to some big, busy places, and yeah. we were masked up because obviously, well, my particular situation, health wise, I'm a little immune uh, to this kind of thing. So mm-hmm. we really wanted to minimize it, but we still went to some really busy places. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised at how few people I like. I can't remember seeing a single one with not a mask. So I think we're starting to do it a little bit. But I'm just worried about. I'm with you. We we're talking about uh, teenage guys and how are we going to keep them in the bubble? Surely somebody's going to try to get out, break loose for one night for and, some fun. And if they do, even if it's relatively harmless it's just to go out somewhere that they have you know they want to go yeah it's not to go on a big run it's just you know we're doing it now in a city where the numbers have blown up and i'm with you i mean i think uh people for the most part and i've been out uh are doing a great job uh unless you were at chinook mall in calgary uh where they you know not only were some people were ignoring the rules. They were having fist fights in the mall, and uh, um, that was a bad scene. But I guess the bottom line for I don't expect the worst, but you have to prepare for the worst. It's not it's not about oh kids will be kids and you know just breaking curfew. It is uh, if you're going out now, you're going out into a situation That's... where it the num the numbers are, are terrible. And I just hope everybody is smart because I don't want to see uh, an event that's as much fun as this be put on hold or canceled altogether because people aren't smart about it. Now, because I don't want to target teenagers, let's also talk about people who should know better who are older. And let's talk briefly about what uh, the Denver Broncos went through this past weekend where their quarterback crew of Drew Locke along with uh, Brent Rippon and Blake Bortles, everybody in that organization. One guy has a positive test for COVID. The other quarterbacks didn't even mask up. And I'm thinking, and so, of course, now that breaks the protocol that the NFL put in place. So all these guys are put on the reserve list, the COVID reserve list. And the Broncos had to find themselves a quarterback at the last second and settled on – Settled on a guy named Kendall Hinton, who was on their reserve list, who played a little quarterback at his college. He came in. He actually did Receiver, not bad. Though, isn't he? Yeah, he did. He didn't do too badly. Uh, but 
the thing that irritated me more than anything there is the fact that if you're a professional player, you need to be professional. Like those guys should have been masked up. There's no way in like, how does that happen? I, you know, it's just, to me, it's irresponsible, but you and I've talked about the fact that sometimes professional athletes get this entitlement thing going where they don't think it applies to them. Not everybody, but we've seen, we've seen an element of it over the years that we've been covering sports. And here's a classic example of that. Like, I just don't know how that even should happen at the NFL level at any level of professional sports, but it did. And not like it's going to kill the Denver Broncos season. They've been awful now ever since Peyton Manning left. John Elway, <laughs> who's a legend in that town, has got to, he's got to get himself a quarterback. He's had plenty of opportunity to do it. Uh, it's just this week, and he didn't have it. Hey, and uh, and one more thing. Let's talk about the NHL. We've been very critical of the Canadian Football League this past summer because they basically went radio silent. They didn't say anything. Yeah. They didn't. There was no positive news. There was no negative news. We even talked to Chris Cuthbert about it. But the NHL here over the last two to three weeks has gone under the cone of silence. And that's starting to worry me a little bit because this league has been usually pretty good about getting their messaging out. But now we have this new CBA that had been signed over the summer. And now they're going right back to the players. And well, we talked with Ferraro two weeks ago. Ray brought it up. Now they're going back to the players again, looking for more uh more, I'm trying to find the right way to word it. Well, if we have a 48-game season, they're not going to get paid for a, an 82-game season, so they're asking the players to take another hit. I'm not convinced yep. that's going to happen. Well, that's a hard sell. That That is one of the things, you know, if there was any good news to talk about, uh, we would have heard from Gary Bettman or, some, or somebody in uh, head office we haven't. So, I mean, draw your own inferences there. The, the, the dollars involved are important. It doesn't matter. I don't care how much you're making or how much you got in the bank. It's not necessarily we can't put food on the table if we have to take this huge cut. Because hopefully, you know, I mean, these, these guys do very well by uh, regular Joe standards, even the guys at the bottom of the, uh, NHL salary scale. Who wouldn't love to make that kind of money? I know. But the fact remains, if you know, uh, if you're asked to give it all back or or a huge chunk of it, you know, how does that play out down the road when things are so uncertain now? You know, how do you play catch up? How do you get square again? Uh, you know, that's one aspect of it. it it's a business, and, and it's it's not fair just to ask the players to to buckle. There's got to be a line that both sides, while taking a hit, aren't getting bowled over. That line is hard to find. The other thing, Bryn, and I think it's as simple as this, although simple is complex in, in, in the sense that there's a lot of things that go into it. With the way numbers are going with COVID, we're ta- and we're talking both sides of the border, obviously, it doesn't matter if it's a Canadian division, uh, which I would love to see. Uh, for, for a season at least. But with the numbers being what they are absolutely exploding in the States, it, it, it's in the transition between, you know, Trump and Biden and the lag of him wanting to turn over. Um, you know, it was already bad there. This isn't a Trump thing, but this plays into it. When you look at their numbers, for whatever reason, we're screwing it up big time up here. Uh, I say us, maybe only a handful that, the reason it's spreading, 
but our numbers are absolutely crazy now compared to what they were when we started up hockey again before. So I don't know. I don't know if they can get started. January's out. We haven't still haven't heard that that's officially the case, but there's absolutely no way they're starting in January. And I'm starting to wonder if, February becomes a push. Well, if they, and if, if Robin, it, if they don't start by February, there's no way they're going to save this. Well, yeah, that's what I think based on, we've always talked about them getting back to something that approaches a normal timeline. How many games can you fit in so you're not now backing up the following? You can't look too far ahead, but that's one of the things Bettman wants to do. Get back to a relatively normal time for the draft, for free agency, for the off season, for the start of the following season. If you want to play 48 games uh, and you don't want to push everything back, you, you need to be started uh, in the first week of February. And yeah. that's looking iffy right now. Well, and the other thing, too, that Ray Ferraro pointed out is that the biggest obstacle for the National Hockey League is the Summer Olympics. They need NBC yeah. on board because they need the U.S. coverage. And if the Summer Olympics were to go ahead in Tokyo, then the NHL season's got to be done by a certain point. They can't drag it yep. over into the month of July. So I'm with you. I think we're going to hear it. We've got to hear something in the next couple of weeks, but let's keep our fingers crossed and see what they, uh, they come up with. And I'm sure they'll uh, make it perfectly clear. Our program, the outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh group at Remax river city. 2020 has been a challenging year for everybody. And it was challenging for Brent and his team as they were trying to sell and, uh, help people buy homes in the Edmonton area. But the one thing that they did was they, they flew, how do I want to didn't fly under the radar, but what they did was they kind of kept a low profile, I guess flew under the radar works during the first mm -hmm. half of the year, took a look at what was going on with the COVID and how could they reassess and readjust. And they did a nice job of it because they're going to wrap up the year rather successfully. They're quite pleased with how they've come through the year Unfortunately, for a lot of companies, they did not make it through the year. But, but the uh, Macintosh Group at Remax River City has. They, uh, they have been very successful in the past in helping buyers find their next home. And also sellers get that big sold sign put up on the front of their, uh, their homes as they try to sell and maybe make a move. So, so Brent and his team know what they're doing. They, uh, they have some new team members. But if you'd like to get some information... Just to chat. Now's a good time to chat, too, because it's a little quiet right now, as it always is in the month of uh, December and January. But you can reach out to the Macintosh Group at 780-464-0075. That is 780-464-0075. Or you can track them down online at macintoshgroup.ca. As I said, looking for sellers, looking for buyers. And at one point, they were looking for a new agent. I don't th know if they filled that position. But it just tells you that they're continuing to grow and uh, they're taking on the challenges full speed ahead. Hey, thanks for your time today. That's fun. We had, we had quite the morning. We have to thank our buddy Rod Peterson for having us on his show earlier this morning. Yeah. The only negative about that, I think, is that people actually got a chance to see us. <laughs> did you did you do the makeup? Did you get your makeup done? I had to, to take the bags out from under my eyes, and I had to really cake it on today, but whatever. And also, I did it no, in front of a Christmas tree just to try to. I just. Uh, I just. I just leave. I let everything. I let the ugly truth hang out. That's the best way to go. Ouch. And uh, hey, it's not like it's going to be a surprise. Anybody that uh, 
knows me knows I'm not going on the cover of GQ magazine anytime soon. Not the sexiest man in 2020, except for in the one household with the one person, I think is probably the best way to word it. <laughs> hey, thanks for your time. Uh, we're coming down the home stretch. If you're interested in getting a hold of us, it's real simple. You can do that. You can drop us an email. And the email address is mightymouth.shaw.ca. That'll come to me. We'll get back to you. If you have any guest suggestions or topic suggestions or show suggestions, get a hold of us there. Also on Twitter, the handle's really simple, at Outsiders, all in caps. That's at Outsiders 2020. And also make sure you tell your friends to subscribe or follow our RSS feed on your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, whatever. That way, when the new podcast drops every Monday afternoon, you get you know you get an alert. It'll tell you all about it. So uh, your support is greatly appreciated, and uh, and uh, can't thank you enough for that, Rob. And that's it for today. Hey, okay, went fast. And a big thank you to Jamie Campbell for joining us on the show today too. Have yourself a great week, everybody. In the meantime, and in between time, that's it, another edition. One thing.